0: Welcome to Weartechnology.com's User Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect.
1: And this is User Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show. We're going to be talking hobbies this week and obsolete technology and touching upon religion, but not in the way that you might think, although I figured this out and I'll explain that when we get a little bit later on in the show. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome.
2: Hello. Hello.
1: So, you are handling the hobby part of the show. We've had a lot of interest in that, and we have our first outside interview this week. How do you think it went? What are you thinking so far of the segment, since it's new to us?
0: I think it's going to be great. I mean, you know, they were really enthusiastic, and I think people are going to be inspired by hearing about other people's ventures into their hobbies,
1: now, I think all the way around, it's really cool. People are passionate about this. I know I am, and I know you guys are too. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun to dig in and figure out the details that you wouldn't necessarily think of. And the other thing I'm noticing from this week's interview, as well as some of the upcoming ones, it seems like tech has gotten into almost every hobby there is out there.
3: Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah.
1: You know, Definitely. Reason, you wouldn't necessarily think of it. So anyway, we've got that up and coming for you. Send us your questions and your comments. One user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter. 503-766-6264 is the phone number. What do we have in the news this week? You might be owed money from Plaid. Yeah, lawsuits going out there, class action situation. And you might be owed money by them even if you've never heard of them.
0: Hmm, a lot of people really? Haven't. So okay.
1: There's a number of online services uh, that we use, Vimo and stuff like that that they use a third-party application for actually processing the charges and these type of things, and that's where this comes from. So Hmm. it's a period that ended in November of last year, so it's very recent, that this company, Plaid, was acquiring personal information and not using it in an appropriate way and acquiring information that they didn't need to get from your phone and the app and all of that kind of thing.
0: Mm -hmm. So this is
1: turned around into this class action situation, and there are deadlines. You have to register to be part of the class and all that kind of thing. And I don't know. I found in the past with some of this stuff, a lot of times if you qualify, once they pay the attorney fees and everything else, you don't get a lot. Sometimes you get a little bit, but it is definitely something to be aware of because, again, they're kind of in the back there. You wouldn't necessarily know or have heard of their company. Right. But it is something that you may have inadvertently used. Hmm.
3: Samsung built a fingerprint security chip for payment cards, employee IDs, and more. So what do you think about having a fingerprint reader on your credit card? Uh, That's going to make the card a lot thicker, I think. Yeah. Um, But we know from watching Mythbusters that you can hack that fairly quickly.
0: Yeah, that's true.
3: So I think where they're going with this is trying
1: to take security a step further. And I don't know if this is something that would end up on your Visa card anytime soon. But Mm. what they're looking at using this for is like door access keys and and stuff like that to further secure it. So you have a second processor in the card Mm -hmm. and it's able to operate So you have to touch the sensor on the card and then use it from that standpoint. So So
0: it might work better for the like employee ID cards that are usually, those are usually thicker. Yeah, yeah, something something
1: like that. And I don't know if the thickness really, I mean, they're able to make things now that are just super duper thin Eh. and go a step further on it. They've got metal credit cards and those type of things that are a little bit thicker. So I, I think from a standpoint of the actual physical depth of it, It's not going to be anything too huge. It's not going to be like having a box or something in your wallet. (laughs) Uh, You know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That reminded me of Sheldon carrying around that box that was supposed to read his emotions. Yes. yes, Okay. Uh, (laughs) Human brain cells from Petri dishes learn to play Pong faster than AI, artificial intelligence. Doesn't it seem like we're really getting into some
1: sci-fi realms with some of the – just technology stuff that's going on. Definitely. Well, yeah. yeah. So this comes out of Melbourne, Australia. And what they were doing was a test of exactly what the headline says, teaching brain cells and AI to play Pong. Uh, pong is an old Atari game, if you haven't heard of it from the 70s. <laughs> that uh, Yeah. It, Which was
0: fun. It was fun. Yes, it like, was. You have yeah. two
1: paddles and you're, it, it's like ping pong, but electronic. But anyway. Or tennis. So um, they call these dish brains. And they consist of 800,000 to about 1 million neurons. And they're grown on a chip from human brain stem cells on an electronic circuit board. And that's how they put this together. So they're actually able to train them to do certain things. In this case, this was used as a test. And the human brain cells learn faster than AI.
0: Interesting.
3: Mm. New space telescope reaches final stop million miles out.
1: Yeah, talk about far away from home.
3: <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: uh, yeah, this is the telescope that was just launched. It took about a month to get out to its final space, the Webb Space Telescope, fired its rocket thrusters for nearly five minutes to go into orbit around the sun at its designated location, and everything went as planned.
0: So it's it, it, this one's near near the sun?
1: It's Yeah, the, what they're doing is they want it to be outside of all of the stuff in orbit and any kind of interference and have a clearer view, which this absolutely would. Oh, okay.
0: So so it's almost like in an orbit
1: like one of the planets. Uh, yeah, you know, sort of. I, I, I think if someone from NASA was to comment on that, they would probably disagree <laughs> with that assessment. Oh, but, okay. <laughs> but it does have <laughs> its own space. So uh, anyway, being out there, this is a $10 billion laboratory. That's the cost. And I can uh-huh. only imagine what it would have been like to launch this and been one of the people just holding your breath. Because, you know,
0: once it's launched, if something goes wrong, there's not it's, much you can do. Yeah. yeah. It's not like you can call your local space alien and go, hey, can you repair that? <laughs> yeah, at least not yet, you know. It's, <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so it was
1: launched, uh, like I say, in December. It's got a 21-foot mirror uh, wow. that's actually made up of segments and unfolded. But it had to be perfect, because the mirror is the most important part, so you can't have the seam. So the engineering behind this is absolutely amazing. And uh, they say they're going to be able to see farther back in time. The light that we see here was generated a long time ago, and the stronger the telescope and the less interference, the more of it you can see. And they're thinking that they can see back about 13.7 billion years.
3: That'll be fascinating when we get that data.
1: Yeah, start to Hmm. to bring it down and stuff. There's already online some of the details and some of the tests. So if you want to follow this, you can. It's on NASA's website. But it's going to be an absolutely amazing thing. And um, this is really the replacement for Hubble, which is through its usable life now. So kind of the next generation of that. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what science we get out of it.
0: All right. Here's what you need to know about the IRS facial recognition program.
1: Yeah, when I heard about this, I didn't <laughs> know about it before. And what it is, is the IRS is requiring facial recognition or selfies from your phone to be able to log on to your account. Huh. So whether you're going on to access, tax data, child care, credit, all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. they're going to require this. So where it is right now, if you have an account already set up, it'll work as it is until this summer. Okay. in which case the requirement will be put in. If you're registering for a new account, then you have to set up the facial recognition along with the account. Now, I know there's going to be two schools of thought on this Mm -hmm. and a certain amount of pushback. The one thing that I will say is that I know IRS has been one of the bigger areas where there's a lot of fraud. People where the IRS are hijacking, so you go to a different website and interpersonal information and stuff. So from that standpoint implementing more security does make sense, but then we're using facial recognition, which is very controversial.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So we'll see how this goes and what the pushback might be and if it works. And then the other question out there is the safety of your facial recognition data. And this is another area that I think uh, needs to be watched very closely. ID.me is the company that they've contracted with to. Set this up so it's a third-party contractor that's doing it, hmm. and uh, you know. So hopefully they'll be able to keep the data secure because while you can change a password, changing biometrics would be much more difficult to say the least.
3: Yeah. Solar power will account for nearly half of new U.S. electric generating capacity in 2022.
1: Yeah, so that's something that's good. I think. Yeah. Doing the s- solar power and renewable energy is is very very important. It's something that you can put on your house, that type of a thing. Be careful you don't get scammed when you install it.
3: Mm -hmm. That Uh has been an
1: issue. But the actual technology is really, really good. Now, I don't know if it's up to really being a replacement for fossil fuel generation yet. But it certainly is an augmentation. So Hmm. to add on to it and reduce the need for fossil fuels, it's definitely something you can do. And it is completely clean. You just need the equipment and have it installed. All right, we've got a great show for you this week. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is user friendly 2.0 Gretchen.
0: Hi there. So we've been talking about hobbies over the last couple of weeks. Yes, we have. What are we doing today? Well, we're going to be talking to Dan and Lucy Sherwood about their hobbies.
2: Well, let's
0: go. Yeah. Um, Now, my first question is, hello, how are you guys doing?
2: (laughs) We're fine. (laughs)
0: Great. Um, So what made you interested in quilting and what was
2: the inspiration? I'm I am the primary quilter and my I've been sewing since the 7th grade so that makes it what 60 years I've been sewing or more and uh my cousin got me interested she helped me get through my first quilt. Oh wow. Um, just I love working with te- with fabrics with textiles and she came up with the idea and we did it. Terrific. So uh, so was she the inspiration for it? Uh, We were together. We were in a quilt store. I saw a fabric I liked, and she said, we can make that into a quilt for your granddaughter. (laughs) I said, go for it. Here we go. Oh, wow. uh, She did all the math on that one. After that, she taught me how to do the math myself. So
0: is the math difficult?
2: Uh, Depends on how your brain works. For me, it's a little tough. But my husband, Dan, is a a real math person. So he checks me out every now and then when I'm messing up. (laughs) <laughs> so, have you made a lot of these quilts? Oh, a hundred at least. Yes, wow. Sure. At least a hundred. I, I haven't really counted, but yeah. That's amazing. And that would be a good point. I found a, a, a artist who designs quilts. Her name is Donna Robertson. She does three-yard quilts where you pick three different fabrics that play well together. You take a yard of each. And you cut them according to her directions, and you end up with a, a quilt that's about four by five feet, roughly. Wow! And she has put out eight books with eight patterns each, so I have sixty-four patterns to work with. And I have cut out the first seven books; I haven't tried the eighth one yet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so, um, what do you do with the quilts when when you're when you're done with them? I mean, that's a lot of quilts.
2: Well. Every chair and sofa has a quilt on it in my home, but most of them that, that I make, I give away to originally to uh, Arizona Blankets for Kids, which were given to kids in distressing situations by first responders um, and social workers and that sort of thing. <clears throat> COVID kind of knocked the socks off that. So we discovered Family Promise, which is a program here in Phoenix for um People who've lost their homes, they're trying to stay together as a family. And it's a church coalition of about 60 churches in town that provide housing, food, um, transportation, job support if they need it, child care if they need it, schooling for the kids. It's a full program with about an 85% um, success rate. Anyway, every family that goes through is now getting a quilt At least one for the family, if not one for every member. And uh, other churches besides mine have gotten involved in this here in Phoenix. And we're churning out the quilts as fast as we can because people are always processing through the program.
0: Wow, that's an amazing way to, you know, put those quilts out there and have people enjoy them. So. What is the difference between quilting and embroidery? This was a question that I was asked to ask you guys. So. Okay.
2: Quilting basically uses a standard sewing machine that will do either straight stitch or zigzag, which is a pretty basic machine. You can get the, the lowest end machines from craft stores that will do the straight stitch and they will quilt. Um, I happen to have a quilt machine that's the granddaddy of those. And it has a it's a bigger machine, so it has more space to work in, and I can do a little bit more of the free motion quilting, which is a whole other issue. My husband, on the other hand, has his machine, which is a cousin to mine. They're the same brand. but it has an extra addition on the end of the machine that plugs in and turns it into uh, an AutoCAD plotter sort of it It uh, takes the fabric, holds it in a frame. And moves the fabric around so the needle can put the thread where it needs to be to make the pattern.
0: Wow! Yeah. So are these expensive? I things? just did,
2: yeah. He just finished. I doing just my. did
4: this one today. That's a piece of
1: <laughs> one
2: that oh, takes wow.
1: 168 minutes to stitch. That <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that's an amazing su- example. For anybody that can't see that on the radio, <laughs> go ahead and take a look at our social media at one user friendly, and we are going to post a picture of that.
2: Yeah, we will. It's um if anyone has ever worked with AutoCAD, the yes. the this embroidery machine reminds me a lot of AutoCAD prepared on the computer, put onto a thumb drive and plugged into the sewing machine. And then the sewing machine picks up the computer program and instructs the embroider, in this case, Dan, uh, which thread to put in and what order to put them in and puts all the stitches in the right places. So so he isn't mm-hmm. having to do all that
0: sewing by hand and pulling out those threads and <laughs> doing mm-hmm. the needlework. He's got an
2: awesome machine that does it for <laughs> him. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> uh, he, he pulls threads out. Don't get, I mean, there are <laughs> threads that go in the wrong places, but um, the machine does how much of the work? 75%. Oh, the machine
4: does 99%. Of
2: it. <laughs> He's like, he watches it pump up and down. After he has spent a long time on the computer making the program look the way he wants it to, making sure he has the, everything in the right
4: order. You have to make the image and then tell it what threads to use to do what. And then after that, it's all done by the machine.
0: So the creative process is done in the AutoCAD or that kind of software by you? Yes.
2: Wow. Well you buy software that has the the these uh program digitized and then you personalize that digitizing process for your own uh to suit yourself. So is this expensive? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can be can be it depends on what stage of the process you're in.
4: The sewing machine itself with the embroidery in it is about (laughs) $13,000.
2: However, Hmm. we were able to get some good deals. My machine is a little smaller than that. I laugh when I say it cost more than my first car after we were married. (laughs) (laughs) But it does. My son said to me, you know, if you can get a dollar's worth of good out of this per hour, You've done well, and I have had well more than a dollar per hour in the cost of the machine compared to what I'm enjoying.
0: So, are the are, are the other materials like the fabric or the threads themselves
2: expensive? They yeah. can be. They can be, or you can find them on sale if you're lucky.
0: Yeah, sales are always good, aren't they?
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of mine comes from donations. Uh, Dan's not so much, but my fabric is very often donated by someone.
1: Now it seems it seems like you would be able to do that to be able to use bits and pieces here and there and we're going to go to a break but when we get back let's talk a little bit more about that and kind of where this goes this is user friendly we'll be right back Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're here with Dan and Lucy Sherwood and Gretchen talking about hobbies and embroidery and all the things that go along with that. And we were discussing the whole idea of quilting and, and putting things together and the magic that goes into that. But one of the things that came up is the technology behind it and that you buy software. And I know that I've seen this a little bit just kind of from a support end, but I know nothing about what goes into it. So Dan, what is involved in actually creating something in the computer before you even get to do your your first thread?
4: Well, basically you have to start out with some kind of an embroidery program. Uh it's a program that just gives you a blank screen and maybe shows a picture of a hoop on it and you start creating lines of stitching. Uh you can make circles or squares or you know and then fill in with different types of stitching. There's um, just a, a solid fill or there's just different types of fill you can put into a circle. Now you can get more sophisticated programs and utilize embroidery patterns that somebody else has created and put it into your screen and modify it. Okay. Don't like the colors, you change the colors. You don't like the way something's shaped, you can change the shape. And then you convert that to a file that fits
1: on the sewing machine itself. Okay, so this is a two step process. So the sewing machine would be connected to the computer. So you've done your workup on the computer and then you transmit it in. And basically, what you're sending to it is what it's sort of be like a printer in a way.
4: It is. In fact, you can actually utilize printer cables and go directly from the computer to the, the sewing machine. Okay. Uh, I find it easier to use a jump drive because otherwise I'm going to get hung on the cables going across the room.
1: <laughs> yeah, there is that detail
4: It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to be my de- nemesis. <laughs> you
1: no, know, as, as, as they say, we're, you know, trying to get it more and more wireless on everything now, but I, could definitely understand that front plus if it's on the on the drive you wouldn't have to worry about if the computer gets shut off it would stop or something like that so i think that makes a lot of sense so in a sense a very broad sense this almost feels like a 3d printer or something of that nature in the sense of what you're actually doing but you still have to have that creative spark you know that one that i don't to be able to come up with something that would look right in the first place so do you just have an idea and you go down and Modify someone's pattern or have you done them from scratch? I have done very little
4: from scratch. Um, You can take a photograph, a picture of a flower that you like, and you can actually have that on the computer and can trace out what you want the uh, stitched image to look like. You can kind of draw lines on it and once again fill in the the holes and ovals and what shape and make your own image from a photograph or some other picture that you really like the more detail the more colors you get the more intricate the patterns get it's okay. just like using paint on the computer you can you know draw your your image but you're doing it on stitching instead of on a just a, something you print on the paper. Now, do you do some
0: fabrics. Well, I was going to ask: Do some fabrics work better than others?
4: Yes. Uh, <laughs> if you have too much texture in the pattern in the fabric, it can get lumpy. real sticky and lumpy and yeah. and a problem. And one of the things you have to put behind the fabric is stabilizer and that if the picture has a high density of thread you'll get a lot of puckering and stuff unless you use a different type of stabilizer or more stabilizer
1: it, it, it's learning? a learning process and i'm still
3: learning <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah that makes makes total sense so all right. Listen, thank you for joining us today. And uh this is all very interesting. I know we've only kind of hit the tip of the iceberg, but anybody that has questions on this, please send them in. One user friendly on Facebook and Twitter. What kind of stuff do you like to do for your hobbies? What's out there? I know there's a number of different things. I'm going to get interviewed on this in a few weeks. And what I do is very different. But uh like I say, I don't have that creative gene like you guys do, but there's some things going in some other directions. So. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the
0: break.
2: You
1: Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. As I said in the opening, we're going to talk about something where people seem to have found a little bit of religion, and I use that term tongue-in-cheek, but dealing with the idea of media and how we consume it. Mm -hmm. So what we had talked about previously was the idea of physical media, DVD or Blu-ray or a CD or whatever, versus streaming on a service like Netflix. Right. And I know that among our own discussion at that point, we have a little bit of a different Attitude. Let's just say on this, Mm -hmm. boy. Some of the questions in the comments that came in uh, were very interesting. To put it mildly. Oh,
0: so are we idiots now, or or? (laughs) It depends on
1: who you talk to. But oh,
0: okay. uh, So (laughs) on
1: the, I'm just going to try to give the background here for what everybody's told me on the physical media side of it. There's the argument, of course, that you can use it at any time. You're not dependent on an internet connection. Right. It's freedom. It's, you know, the ability to just put it into a machine and just and yeah. play, and, and there you go. Uh, the other thing of it is, is that once you have a copy of the media or whatever it is, the movie or whatever, as long as you don't destroy the disc or lose it or something, you have it in your library whenever you would like to watch it. So you're not dependent on it being available either. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, on the streaming media side, uh, it costs less. That was one of the big ones. because Well, it, that... That changes
3: because they keep upping the fees.
1: Yeah, they do keep upping the fees. And
3: uh, and now you have to subscribe to several different services in order to be able to watch all the things you want. Right, and one of the other things
1: is on a lot of new release movies, especially on Disney+, Plus, I've been noticing this, that there's an additional fee on top of your subscription fee for certain content, too.
3: Right, so so if you wait... (laughs) Yeah, if you you wait, it's free. Yeah. Because you're already paying for it. Yeah. But if you want to watch it the day it comes out, yeah, there is a fee. But it's not a huge fee. But it is a fee.
1: The second thing that is an argument in favor of that is the – of streaming, that is – is the idea of being able to have a vast library available. And this is one thing that Mm -hmm. I do agree with because there's been times – there was a, a movie, the Steve Jobs movie, that came out a number of years ago now. And I wanted to watch it and I couldn't find a physical copy. Everybody was sold out. The rental places like Redbox and stuff didn't have it. It wasn't streaming yet, so it was like you couldn't you couldn't get to it. And then when it was streaming, it was available there, even though you still couldn't get it on physical media. Mm. So that's, that's a thing. Now, my big question here is one from the technology standpoint of it, and that is that it is somewhat difficult, not impossible, to get 4K content and that type of a thing on a disc.
3: Well, I would disagree with that in that I can go to a store and have the section of the store that says 4k 4k media
0: yeah and I, like i
1: said it you is know i mean it, available. it's
3: it
0: is there and, and the thing is you also have to realize that um there's there's going to be for for people like myself and jeremy we wouldn't buy every single movie right we only buy the things that that we really love and we know we're going to watch over and over and over again we we're not the kind of people who are just going to buy anything and keep it. So the streaming part there is great, you know, Mm -hmm. Oh, I'll watch that and see if I like it, you know, but things like we love star Wars. Um, there's Mm -hmm. the, I really love the Kung Kung Fu, Kung Fu Panda series because sometimes, you know, I feel pretty gloomy and watching those cartoons always cheers me up. So I have them almost like a, it's like a hobby. You know, it's like a therapist. Right. There we go. Watch that and you feel better. But the, the movie is not always available on the streaming services. Yeah, they so it's not every. It's, yeah. yeah. But and then there are other things that I wouldn't want to have copies of that I liked seeing on the streaming services, like some of the old, old black and white films that are just kind of fun to watch once in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and, I don't really want to have a huge library of them. Yeah,
1: that's another thing taking
0: up space. And no, that told,
1: and that totally makes sense. And there's still stuff that I buy too. That's mm-hmm. something that I just want to keep in. Um, but you know, to go back to the technology end of it, I don't have a Blu-ray player on all of my televisions anymore because it's not needed. And in yeah. fact, the only one I have is the one in my PlayStation in my, my home theater. So to, and to finish the conversation on the, um, 4K, you were talking about going to the 4K aisle, but it's not mm. just that you also have to get an ultra HD player.
3: That's true. Yes, you do have to have the player for the 4K.
1: You know, so that'll be the thing. And and we're starting to head in the direction of 8K, which won't fit on the disc.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a little weird because you can't see 8K.
2: Can you?
1: No. You can barely see 4K. I would argue that there is a difference. I've used both formats Mm. uh, just in some of the work I do and stuff. And there are certain advantages to the 8K. One of the bigger ones is actually for virtual reality.
0: Okay,
3: okay, that there I can understand it for VR. I have never seen a movie in in VR,
1: so it's uh it's, it's worth checking out. You can they have them on on the Oculus. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can even get the Netflix and services like that on the Oculus and be able to watch. It's not a VR movie. You're looking at a screen, but it's like you're in a theater with a million inch screen. You know, so
3: right, it's kind hmm. of cool.
1: And there are VR movies out there. The Darth Vader and- one being one.
3: Yeah, that's yeah. actually a game, though.
0: Yeah, yeah that's actually that. a game, and that was, was fun. It was fun, and I <laughs> hope to get some of the other ones. I just
1: <laughs> no, but all the way around, you know, I think there is a valid argument for both sides of the coin. I I know with me, one of the other things too is is television content, especially I wouldn't want to buy necessarily. And there's a lot of times where I'll be watching something in my home theater and want to go finish it maybe in my bedroom or my office. So it is nice being able to just hit the button and go to the other unit and resume where I left off, you know?
0: Yeah. You see, you're you're talking almost a different type of lifestyle. Um, We really only use one TV in one room. Right. Right. So uh, it kind of depends upon your lifestyle. Yeah.
1: You know? So I think I'm going to give a little bit of a cop-out answer here, but this is what I kind of feel after looking at all things. I think there's an argument for both sides of the coin. And mm-hmm. I think it's just, you wouldn't necessarily want to have it one way or the other completely either. Like you said, Gretchen, you buy the content that you want to have and be able to access whenever you want and everything else do a streaming service.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's there. Now I, one of the other things on that too is I, ha- I bought a movie, the, uh, Fred, uh, Tom Hanks's, uh, Mr. Rogers movie recently on, uh, Amazon Prime and it was bought and it's there and it will never go away. It's available anytime I want it. They don't take it away after you buy it. Right. Okay. So, you know, so there's cool too. All right. Well, this is user friendly 2.0. We will be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. You know, I I don't know, the whole hobby thing, and I think about what I actually do on that front, and what I do is so different. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks, but it is still a lot of fun all the way around, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think life would be boring without, you know, trying these other things. And I know we've, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but all of this started actually
1: during the Great Depression when people couldn't go out at that time for money. And now... We're seeing a huge resurgence of it with uh, everything dealing with um, with the whole COVID thing. So, but anyway, on that front, you guys actually got out to see a movie. I
3: understand.
0: Oh yeah, so we went, went to us about see. It. We went to see Spider Spider Man: No, no Way, Way, Home. Way Home. Okay.
3: <laughs> now the the fun part is, you know, everybody's still going to the theater, but uh, we were the only ones there. We the only, we had the whole theater to ourselves completely.
0: Yeah, and it was the really nice one where the, the seats pop up and you can put your feet up and they're all soft and squishy.
3: Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> but yeah, so Spider-Man No Way Home continues right after uh, Far From Home ends. And it's just kind of like, okay, this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man's in trouble.
0: Yeah, not the, not the movie was bad. The oh, movie no. was great. But oh boy, Spider-Man, he's in trouble. Peter Parker is in trouble. A- A world of hurt yep and one thing about this movie it's really long
3: yeah it's one of the longest ones so far
0: actually it's nice because it feels like they were able to tell all the stories and not you know all the aspects of the stories without skimping you know on details and Mm -hmm. i like that i'd rather have a movie that's you know a few minutes longer than and have a better story
3: yeah and it it was it was very cool i didn't i i looked up a couple of things to try and figure out who all was going to be in it, what villains were going to be in the thing. And it was still really impressive seeing all of them there.
0: Yeah. Great. Yeah. It was kind of cool.
3: <laughs> so it sounds like
1: you recommend it.
3: I oh, would, definitely. I would absolutely recommend the movie because it's it's going to lead right into. Uh, oh, there's doctor a doctor strange, strange. M- multiverse of madness. We're going to have some really fascinating stuff going on there.
0: So. When you watch this movie, stay to the very, 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 very end, you know, pass yeah. the credits, and then you can see the Doctor Strange thing. That was cool. It's going to be cool. <laughs> yeah, I love it when they do that.
1: Well, that's great. Okay, so a good movie out there, definitely mm-hmm. worth seeing. Absolutely. So if you haven't, do it. We're not going to give the story away. Yeah, yeah, and it's really hard because there were some really cool, really cool things, things in it. Things that happened, so. yeah. So that's cool. All right, so upcoming weeks, we're going to be covering the Game Developers Conference this year. I don't know yet if we're going to be doing that physically or virtually. It'll just depend on how things go. So uh, that's coming right up. And, you know, other stuff on the calendar, let us know what you want to know about. Because that's how we do our programming. One user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter, or call us, 503-766-6264. And until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0,
3: keeping you safe on the cutting edge user-friendly 2.0 copyright 2014 to 2022 user-friendly media group inc all rights reserved the views and opinions on this show are those of the host and not necessarily those of the user-friendly media group inc or this station music licensed by bmi hosting provided by weird podcast available at userfriendlynation.com theanswerportland.com, the or anywhere you listen to podcasts